John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 548.EX3925, certificate number 50855, the great bell of Damazetti. I like big bells, and I cannot lie. Mm, I've heard you lie. What's your... I can't lie about that. Oh, I see. Do you really think Sir Mixolata is saying he can't lie about other things? I assumed he was just saying he couldn't lie about the butts. I've uh, I've had several very positive interactions with Mix, and I, he's never lied to me once. To your, he's, he's, to your knowledge. No, no, no. He speaks the truth. There's always two Sir Mix-a-Lots, one that tells the truth and one that lies. You can only ask them one question. When I, uh, when I asked Mix, how am I doing hosting this show? Am I doing a good job? He was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that also accorded with what you'd believe to be objective I mean, truth? You know, he can't lie. <laughs> he wasn't wrong. That's pretty true. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest bell in the world? The biggest bell in the world. Uh, well, you know, whatever I say, there's probably a bell in China that's bigger. That's a good guess. Yeah. The biggest functioning bell in the world has been in China since the year 2000. They they forged a new bell. The Jizhang Zhang, or Bell of Good Luck, is... Um, located near the Spring Temple Buddha, which is the world's tallest Buddha. It's uh, 420 feet tall. Woo! But they, but Buddha's not holding the bell. That would be a killer statue. No, it's nearby. Oh, and you th- it's like an automaton, so every yeah. on the hour he, he dongs it like one of those monkey clocks or whatever? Well, yeah, like the like hammering man in front of the Seattle <laughs> Art Museum and in front of 40 other museums around the world, I might add. Yeah, every time I see hammering man somewhere else, I'm like, oh, this guy just made a million of these. Yeah pretty cheap uh, uh where was the largest bell before this bell well in that's China? that surpassed uh that surpassed actually a bell in uh, myanmar where our tale is set if but ne- these are only functioning bells the largest <laughs> attempted a bell or bell-shaped thing in the world is you recall uh the omnibus about tsar bomba the biggest uh, conventional explosive ever i do so apparently the Russians also made the biggest bell ever and called it Tsar Bell. They just make a big thing and Tsar Bella. Like Tsar is their word for for yeah. mega or uh or um poppy, big yeah, poppy. When, when you go to a when you go to a Poroshki deli in St. Petersburg, it's the <laughs> I'd like Tsar Poroshki. I'd like the Tsar burrito. That's what you get at Starbucks. Tsar bucks. <laughs> 
It's bigger than a venti. Uh, in 1735, you can still see it on the grounds of the Kremlin today. In 1735, the Russians cast the Tsar Bell, 216 tons. But it. And uh, what do you get? <laughs> well, you get a bell that doesn't work. It actually cracked during the casting of it. Yeah, that happens um, with bells. And I think it was the third Tsar Bell, and the previous two were damaged by fire as well. So the Russians are really terrible at bell care. But they didn't uh, melt it down and try again. They were just like, well. Well, now we got a broken bell. So we're just going to put it right here. I mean, it feels like if you're going to display the world's largest bell, and, it and should it, have worked. It should have at least rung once. I mean, the Liberty Bell is cracked, but. You know, I'm sure it donged for John Jay's funeral or something stupid. Well, and and we had that great narrative that said it cracked because we were ringing it in celebration of freedom, even though it also cracked because of some flaw in its manufacture. I don't think it cracked from being rung vigorously. Yeah, the metaphor of, uh, you know, the fact that America might have had some original flaw in its manufacture that later led to, later led it to be not impervious to times of trouble is... uh, a little on the nose, Too honestly. soon, I think. Um, so the Tsar Bell is never wrong, but you know, having a big bell-shaped thing, they did what you or I would do, and they uh, made it into a chapel. <laughs> it's big enough you can go in? Yeah, it's enormous. Uh, it is, let's see how tall is Tsar Bell. It's 20 feet tall and 22 feet wide. So they cut a, a hobbit door in it? Yeah, basically. I mean, it already had the chunk missing. From the uh, that oh. fell off during casting. Oh, I see. Okay, well, now that makes sense. You display it not as a symbol of the fact that you cannot make a bell, but as a cool little not, little hut. It's not that we can't make a bell. It's that we have an extremely elaborate way of making a chapel with no windows or <laughs> real doors. Super duper heavy. I wonder, it's probably rung... 700 times a day because every person that walks in there hits it. Knocks on it. And goes, ding. No, you get sent to the gulag if you, if you do that. I don't think you can go inside it anymore. Now it just kind of sits on display. What? I mean, I understand why you can't go to the top of the torch of the Statue of Liberty because it seems really sketchy. But this, how are you going to hurt this dumb bell? <laughs> it's like literally a place I would go to survive a bomb. It's disrespectful. It's, it would be like going inside the czar. Oh. It would be like being in a little submarine going through Putin's arteries. Yeah, I'd do that. Which I would I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, but it, it's kind of the equivalent. To me, it looks like, um, when I read there was a chapel inside it, it kind of seemed like the the 50s roadside fad of having a motel that looks like a, a right. hat or something. Or drive you know? through a giant redwood. Exactly. Exactly. The Russians were in on all that Route 66 culture. Um, that bell. So, But neither of these bells... Um, by quite a distance, is the largest bell in human history. That would be the 300-ton titular bell of this entry, the great bell of Damazetti of uh, 15th century Lower Burma, what is now Myanmar. Now, I'm just, just realizing, reflecting on the fact that prior to the advent of uh, the Internet, um, a giant bell is something that every nation has its largest bell and a bell would be a a source of national pride. A bell would be maybe an industrial accomplishment. Like we used to, even in, in my own parents' lifetime, we cared about bells in a way that we don't now. And part of that is that churches now just broadcast bell sounds. Well, they're, you know, the big influential churches are all probably 
belfry mega churches without a right without a belfry at all. But even the belfry churches have they took the bells down and put speakers up. Not all of them. Well, a lot of them. Uh, in, not in Europe, right? Uh, I think is even Europe, in is Europe, Europe playing fake bells. Yeah, I think so. Boo. You you you, it, you walk by at noon and it goes. It sounds like an eight-bit speaker playing the Jeopardy theme. Why is it playing the Jeopardy theme <laughs> know, at noon? It's, it's a very popular. Does show. it play a different theme, like a different game show at one? <laughs> it plays "Pop Goes the Weasel." Last time we were in London, Big Ben was not chiming at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been renovating the clock tower for. It was supposed to be reopened, but it was COVID delayed it by about a year. But there's been appalling scaffolding on the Westminster clock tower for a few years now. Um, so no chimes of Westminster. But if you want the Westminster chimes, all I have to do is come over to my mom's house because she's got probably 15 clocks that I have a grandfather clock, which I now regret. Like I bought it. I bought a grandfather, a, a nice grandfather clock. Instead I of just find, a grandfather clock, but I should have just found a cool old vintage one. Why did I go to a clock store? In hindsight, I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's not a vintage. I always assumed that was a family clock. No, it, you went to a, I just went to a clock store clock and was store? like, well, I think I wanted to see like a bunch of clocks. What? This is the craziest story about you I've ever heard. It really is. Because and I've heard a lot of crazy If there's stories. one item that America is overflowing with that nobody wants, it would be the je- the baby boomer's grandfather clocks. I there got, must be a grandfather clock surplus right now. There's a piano store downtown that uh, you walk by and look in the window. There's never anybody in there. And they're selling Yamaha and Kawhi and, and uh, you know Steinway pianos. Twenty thirty thousand dollars for a piano, and you can go on Craigslist in any town in America and find a pretty great piano for free, or for twenty dollars, or for two hundred dollars. And I have to imagine Craigslist. I'm not going to do it. Have you been I'm, on? Have you been on Grandfather Clock Craigslist lately? I'm. You know what? I said I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it now. How many grandfather clocks are there? How many grandfather clocks can you fit on the head of a pin? In Seattle. Cool. I mean, but I would be a little suspicious of those. Well, you know, I mean, a piano, you can get tuned. You know, what if you get a grandfather clock that's a lemon and doesn't work? Hmm. Well, you got some. Okay, here's one. Uh, it's a Howard Miller design, $475. There's a couple of Fisher Price ones. $350, $295. One ninety-five, eight hundred bucks. Who do you think you are? Not, that that one uh, has the door to the Bat Cave behind it. A hundred dollars. Oh, here's a grandfather clock called a Stondhuren. Seven thousand dollars they want for this one. So, do you mind saying how much you paid for your grandfather clock? I don't mind, but I also don't remember. There are so many grandfather clocks for sale here. Here's one for ten grand. As if. Yeah, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be looking for a fancy antique one, but I'm sure I could find some estate sale grandfather clock that still runs just fine. I, don't, I a, don't know why we bought a new is one. Is this like a, I went to school overseas and this is still what I think of as a sign of affluence to an American? No, I think it was actually that I, did, I thought of it as the opposite, where I was like, nobody has these anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, you don't see a grandfather clock in people's houses. No, that's cool. But we did have bonging clocks in the house a lot where I grew up, and so did... Um, so did Mindy. Her her parents have a house full of, I think maybe because they grew up in Central Europe, yeah, they have a house yeah, full yeah. of cuckoo clocks and cuckoo-adjacent clocks. My mom collected those ones that are under a glass yeah, dome, like yeah. a science experiment, and they all were Westminster chimes. 
and they would go off. She had them all set, so they all went off at once. So I actually like it, and it feels homey to me, and it's not until I'm actually like doing a Zoom call that I remember like that I have this incredibly bong, loud bonging right bong, outside my office door, bong. and I have to go silence it. Yeah, it's in the hallway of your otherwise very modern home. Yeah, and I like it, but I think in hindsight, why didn't I just try to find a vintage clock I liked? I'm sure I could have found one I liked. Yeah. Anyway, but this isn't about my tacky tasting clocks, mm-hmm. unlike most... Unlike most episodes, it was of the briefly. Show. Yeah. <laughs> Why were we? Oh, we were oh. talking about how bells bells used to be a big yeah. sign of affluence and symbol, uh, you know, uh, technology and clearly casting a giant bell is really hard to do. So it would be a sign that you were. It's like, uh, does your country manufacture cars? Now? It would be like if you manufactured a whole car and after the long elaborate process, then you would see if it could drive. Yeah, because that's kind of what happens with with bell casting. You and know, if you, it broke, you'd just make it into a chapel. But even if if it doesn't break, you're like, does this? Yeah, it's like escalators. They, you know, they can't break. A bell can't break. You can just become a chapel. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it would be like, um, you know, you you cast this enormous bell at a great time and expense, and you know, months later, you finally chime it and see if it even if sounds it good. sounds good. Yeah. yeah, it could just blank. But I guess a giant bell would be also uh, it's a way of signaling. Like if you're out wandering in the forest and you hear bong. Like, you would head toward it. I mean, that was the first telecommunication system, right? Every yeah. town had in its highest place a loud thing. And right. it, was, it was for religious Summoning. purposes, but it was also for, yeah, military o- o- alert or um, the um, if there was a fire. Right. I guess it's... A wedding. Like so many things, it's creeping secularization. We don't... I mean, the... These days. <laughs> our loud noise now is the... Um, What's the thing that comes on PBS or whatever? This the emergency been, broadcast this system. This has been a test of the emergency <laughs> broadcast system. Uh, it's not just, you know, Western religion and Christianity. You know, there's a Buddhist temple by my house that has, you know, a bunch. you're supposed to walk by all these different noisemakers and clang or spin them. And uh, there's a long tradition of bells and big bells in Buddhism and in the... 15th century lower Burmese kingdom of Hantawadi was cast a 300-ton bell, apparently, for the Shwedagon, Shwedagon? That can't be right. Pagoda, um, which is still, you know, this is now what is modern-day... Myanmar. Yeah, Yangon, Myanmar, you know, the former city of Rangoon, Burma. And this... This pagoda is the big gilded stupa that you would see in any photo of uh, of Yangon. It's it's the big religious landmark and the holiest Buddhist site in all the land. And so this three hundred ton bronze bell was cast, supposedly not just of uh, the tin and copper you would expect to find in bronze, but also gold and silver because it, because it was a, a sacred object as well. Um, and M- Myanmar, uh, is, uh, one of those Southeast Asian countries that's, that's long and narrow and the top half of it is really a different culture than the bottom half of it type of thing. Like, I, think, I think that's right. The Northern, the people of Northern Burma and the people of Southern Burma had different relationships to the British colonial. Not unlike Thailand or, right, or, or Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly right. Um, and at the time, you know, there were, there were a lot of, at the kind, at the time King Damazetti cast this ginormous bell. And I guess there are stories. Is that the technical term? Ginormous? Mm. Yeah, I think so. There were, um, 
And there are legends about how there were warnings from his astrologers that it was not, it was an unlucky bell and it was an inauspicious bell, which... An inauspicious bell? I mean, these because it was cast at the wrong time. You know how... Um, you know, birthdays and zodiacal stuff is very important in some of these Eastern cultures. Um, maybe this is all in hindsight because of how the story turned out. But part of the mythology of the bell is that there was kind of a, it kind of had a cursed beginning. Did you know that ginormous was coined by British soldiers in World War II and has been in... As a combination of vagina and enormous. Uh, well, no, it was a, it was a popular fruit, a uh, uh, a Mesopotamian fruit, <laughs> the ginormous. Wait, now that I think, oh, it's gigantic. A gigantic, it's gigantic and enormous. And enormous. Uh, okay. 1948 was it, it was it first appeared in writing. You wouldn't think, right? It seems no, like it a, seems like a, a like 90s a, kid thing or something. Like Nickelodeon invented the word ginormous. Yeah, or 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 some kind of Doge site. But no, it's it's it's, uh, it's somebody who was given the Jerry's what for? I say ginormous. I mean, just had the most ginormous crap in my pants, a Colonel. So, so a three hundred ton bell is huge. I mean, that's that's half again as big as Tsar Bell, pretty much. So, uh, so, so Tsar Bell plus a plus a half of a, yeah, another a, a smaller bell. chapel. You know, like a little Vegas style wedding chapel next to it. And this is that's a twenty five double decker buses. This is circa. This is fifteenth century. How would you even go about casting a bell that size? My understanding is you have to kind of build a custom foundry for it. You know, you, it's a it's something you dig into the ground and then build a sand a, a, reverse yeah, bell of some kind. Bell shape, yeah, it's a, on the inside. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. But it was cast successfully, and despite the curse, really the only bad thing that seemed to happen is the tone wasn't as good as uh, as King Damazetti was hoping. Oh, boo! But nonetheless, it hung in the in the this sacred Buddhist stupa for so well like, over a century. Yeah, it's fine. Dong. Well, I don't know. Thump, like thump, maybe it was thump. fine. You know, thwank, thwank. Like maybe they're just um, you know, there's they're like audiophiles who are like, nah, I don't like this guitar sound. You well, know? Have you ever hit a bell that really was true? Like well, it just goes and goes, right? Yeah, just like a like a sa- like a crystal single sound without a ton of distortion or um, I we we all got bicycle bells when we bought our little fam. Everybody in the family got a bike, and we all we all got bells. And somehow my bell just is this charmed bell. Everybody else is riding and they're like, clank, clank, ding, 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 and, ding. And you got them at the same time from the same CBS. Yeah. And mine goes, ping. And last four minutes, I'm the envy of all of the family. Ring my bell. Ring my bell. So, you know, of all places, um, Lower Burma, maybe not the place you would think of as the site of, uh, you know, the 15th century's great civilization, is home to this uh, just colossal bell for well over a century. And then, unfortunately, in the year 1608, uh, Felipe de Brito makes his appearance on the scene. He doesn't sound like he's Burmese. Europeans (laughs) appear in that. There goes the neighborhood. Was it in a uh, was it in a tower or was it just like two feet off the ground? Like, what? How do you display a bell? I feel like in, you know, the, if you look at this Buddhist stupa, it's got a big gilded dome, but I don't think uh, I don't think the bell is like in the 
dome like you would assume in a cathedral tower. Right. Um, I guess lifting the bell off the ground would be its own engineering feat. Yeah, when I've seen these on display, when I've seen the large Buddhist bells like this on display, they are not... um, Well, let's look at the the Mingun bell in... um, I'm looking at a picture of the Mingun bell in... uh, Also in Myanmar that was... That has been the heaviest functioning bell in the world, and yeah, it's it's hung just off the ground. It's kind of in a little p- wooden pavilion just for it, and there's you know maybe a foot of clearance. I, I remember seeing big bells like this in Japan and Korea. There's you know a foot or two of clearance at the bottom, but yeah, you don't want to have to lift that thing any higher than you than you need to absolutely need to. Felipe de Brito is a Portuguese. I feel like the some of the reference works still say adventurer, yeah, which make him sound super fun, and mercenary is more like it. You know, he comes to Southeast Asia. He's in it for the money. What is the difference between an adventurer and a mercenary? I guess I'm an adventurer. I never made any money off of it. It all goes to motive, I yeah. think. You know, they're both they're both wreaking a an adventure and a mercenary might both wreck a swath of destruction through some, you know, newly colonialized part of the world. I mean, all you have to do is bring smallpox or rats and you're yeah. a mercenary. And let's be clear, even the well-intentioned ones are um, often, you know, not leaving any kind of legacy mm-hmm. of good. Right. Should have um, stayed home. But in this case, uh, this guy is just plundering and making trouble and mm-hmm. uh, selling his services and presumably his uh, black powder muskets to the highest bidder. The Portuguese don't, uh, they aren't in enough hot water over all this, I don't think. In this, you mean today? Yeah, like I think to, we to, need to turn our attention to the Portuguese. Like we should really be thinking more often about how problematic, deeply problematic, the Portuguese are as a people. Yeah, if, it, if, it, <laughs> if they were a little bit wealthier now, maybe it would be easier right. to be mad about Lisbon. But Lisbon's kind of. If they ever start to dominate the European economy again, it'll be their turn. Yeah. For now, the Dutch. The Dutch were also making trouble in Southeast Asia, and they're doing very well. They're 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 just an enormous, tall prosperous people driving BMWs. So let's rip on them again. Well, we do take our, we do take our piece out of the Dutch, but you know, the thing about the Dutch is they also pioneered white righteousness. So it's, it's, they've, they're way ahead of you in terms of, of, uh, flagellating themselves. They, um, yeah, they turned on a dime. Yeah, they did. So, well, the Dutch better hope that the Portuguese eventually, resume their ascendancy over the seven seas really because then we can start to take them down it's the belgians that we (laughs) that the globe should condemn if you're like us you love to dig in and do your research you're not afraid of homework and you have definitely fallen down some pretty deep reddit wormholes am i right but if your search for the right people for your company is coming up dry there's a resource you haven't tapped into yet If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want. A short list of quality candidates as fast as possible. Because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire all at Indeed. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner. Where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. 
Indeed makes it easier for star applicants to shine with over 135 assessment tests from cooking to coding. Pick what skills are important to you from over 135 assessments and get a clear view of your top talent's abilities faster. Assessments make the interview process smoother for everyone. Talent doesn't need to prove themselves again, and you can dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. With Indeed Assessments, you can reduce hiring time by 12%, according to Indeed data worldwide. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Omnibus. That's get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Felipe de Brito sells his service to the Arakanese, uh, a local, you know, a, a local kingdom, and begins sacking all the rival cities. Yes, he doesn't make a lot of friends. No, he, he has blunderbuss. He finds, as part of this pursuit, that what he would need, what he needs, is some cannons. Oh yeah, you, the the, the blunderbuss of the seas. Maybe you can see where this is going. He needs something big he could melt down and just make a ton of cannons because. By allying himself with the Arachnids, he has pissed off a bunch of other Burmese kingdoms. It's a lot easier to find something and melt it down than it is to mine ore and forge your own cannon. Just as in so many other things in life, you know? Like, I could write a whole new song, or I could go to karaoke. Right, or, yeah, or, or just steal the I song. Could sample somebody else's song. <laughs> steal the songs of the bands from not that long I ago. I could just drop a fire new mixtape. You could mine your own gold, or you could steal Inca gold and melt it down. Felipe de Brito is uh, not blind to these efficiencies. He hears about a 300-ton bronze bell and thinks, that's what I want. He hears about it rather than hears it. Oh, he yeah. wasn't just like, Maybe he actually heard it. Maybe, maybe imagine him talking to some of his men on his on his galleon, like, "Where will we get our, the, all these cannons?" And suddenly, bong, bong, and they all look up. <laughs> so he, uh, in his newly seized city, as he's sacking, I think what was then the city of Pegu or Bago uh, today. Um, again, you know, now in the Yangon area, he. Uh, Seizes the bell, has elephants drag it down to the river, and uh, wants to take it downstream to what is then the port of Yangon, where his fleet is. So he puts it on a little raft. Who and, weeps for the elephants? Uh, yeah, the elephants didn't want to be doing that. No, it sounds like a like a poor job. A terrible job. How many elephants died pulling that bell down to the river? Hopefully he had enough elephants for the job. Like he does seem like the kind of guy who would just love the novelty of throwing too many elephants at a problem. Hmm. But he was probably super mean to them too. I feel like I do that a lot. Uh, not our pet elephant, um, Kikuchi. No, but I just What's mean- our elephant's name? <laughs> Kikuchi. Saito. I can't remember our elephant's name. I, uh, I routinely, just as a metaphor, you know, a, a problem that only needs one elephant, I always throw five elephants at it and then- then what are you doing? You're not solving the problem. You're an elephant wrangler at are you, that point. Are you throwing elephants concurrently or consecutively? Uh, I have a giant elephant trebuchet 
<laughs> and I uh, one at a time. Then yeah, I set it up and throw them one at a time. So as you can imagine, the elephants. I mean, the elephants aren't happy, but the elephants are not the problem here. The problem is putting a three hundred ton bell on a raft in the swift moving. Uh, uh, the Bago River meets with another river there to form the Yangon River, which then joins the massive kind of Irrawaddy uh, Delta there. Um, but these are... That's where the blues come from. Yeah, from the Irrawaddy. It actually does sound kind of Southern, it you know? Does. Like if you if you told me there was a river named Irrawaddy the in Irrawaddy Florida, I'd be Delta? like, yeah, that's probably a Seminole name. No, 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 no. Um, unfortunately, he as he lashes the raft to his flagship and begins to head downstream... The raft sinks, and it does not take long before a 300-ton bell has plunged to the bottom of the Yangon River. As difficult as it is to to make a 300-ton bell, it seems even maybe more difficult to make a boat that can carry a 300-ton bell down a river. And maybe more, di- yeah, and he thought the second thing would just be trivial. Yeah, because he's from Portugal, and he's like, a boat? Eh. Uh, even harder than both would be getting a 300-ton bell off the silty bottom of a fast-moving river. <laughs> and that's why he gives up, and it stays there for 400 years. What, are you saying that the bell is still at the bottom of the silty river? Uh, the bell vanishes from history in 1608. Maybe Gollum found it. I don't know. <laughs> and he's living in a cave, and every once in a while he puts on the bell? But yes, for 400 years, uh, the legend of the Great Bell of Domizetti is confined to its uh, disappearance in 25 feet of mud uh, at the convergence of the the where the Pego River the Pego River flows in, uh, Bago River flows into the Yangon River. I'm no expert in this or anything, but 25 feet of mud, although it seems like a lot of mud in 1650, does not seem like an insurmountable amount of mud in the present day. Well, let's fast forward to the present day. In the last 30 years, there have been no fewer than seven pretty serious attempts to find and locate the bell. But neither task has been accomplished. No one no one knows where it is, and no one has figured out how to bring it up. I think you're right that it's not insurmountable. Um, and some of these efforts have been uh, fairly high-tech, uh, but not all of them. Um, and they've all been complicated by the fact that Myanmar uh, has, for much of the last 20 years, been a military dictatorship. It's a really bad scene there. Uh, it is. And it, when it seemed to be getting better, no, it just got worse. You know, finally, the the Nobel Peace Prize winning political dissident was able to, you know, win a fairish election and became head of government only to cover up a terrible genocide and kick out all foreign journalists. Um, but it really happens. Do you remember when, uh, when Assad's artistic son who went to medical school in the West was going to take over he's, Syria? He's an eye doctor. This will be fine. The, 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 the bad one died. We're going to get the Westernized one. Yeah. The bad one was like racing cars and, and drinking top shelf whiskey. We were going to get the smart one. And by we, I mean the international community. It turns out maybe you don't want to put a smart, rich guy at the head of a massive, uh, you know, surveillance and espionage, uh, 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 secret police. Well, I mean, maybe a dumb guy's worse. Sitting across the table from you can confirm. <laughs> I think I think I would not put you at the head of uh, of of the local government, let who, alone the national would, one. Who would you rather put in charge of a of a secret military police? A smart guy or a dumb guy? 
I mean, neither is great. No, we've had both. <laughs> it feels like the results have been the same. Yeah, it's exactly the same. I guess once the apparatus is big enough, it doesn't matter whether um, it's a cool president that puts Jay-Z on his yearly mixtape and uh, right. and loves the new Colson Whitehead novel, you know? Yeah, Obama was going to tell us about uh, Project Blue Book, and he didn't, and I'll, then Trump I'll, was going to do I'll it. I'll close Guantanamo, didn't. unless it's kind of hard. Yeah. <laughs> unless, unless some general tells me I can't. So, uh, you know, with this military dictatorship running, running Burma, renamed Myanmar by, mm-hmm. by them, which I think makes some people still say Burma in some kind of a uh, linguistic protest. Boy, weird. I mean, uh, that's one of those, I mean, there's so many of those now where it's like, which of these is less worst, bad, good. Yeah. Sometimes with place names even. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the, these multinational operations that could have been launched to try to look for the Great Bell of Domazetti were kind of found, founded on the, on the fact of, well, we don't, because it's a huge, as you can imagine, it's a huge national symbol. Like in, oh. in Burma, this is like the Holy Grail. Like imagine if Nicolas Cage really stole the Declaration of Independence, but then it sank in the Potomac and, you know, we never got it back. Right. Um, so it's not that the so the people of Myanmar are kind of fixated on this. Oh, it's not a thing where they're keeping Western explorers out for some arcane re- reason. They would love it if this happened, but they would capitalize on it. They would absolutely love it. Um, you know, some of these offers have been you know people trying to put together the you know because you, you can see how you would do this kind of thing. You need some it's some high tech international operation that needs ten million dollars. It's running out of Singapore or Bangkok or Sydney or whatever. We're going to get sonar in there to see through the mud. We're going to need divers with night vision goggles. Apparently, what you want is uh, copper sulfate detectors. Yeah, because the copper is is uh, the, the, off-gassing the under bron- the mud. The bronze in the water, is. you're going to be able to tell which parts of the mud have yeah. slightly more copper sulfate than the other parts. And that's where you, that's where you start digging and sonaring. But here's the thing, right? You want to find the bell, but then you would be obligated— culturally obligated to display it in Myanmar you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to take it to Hong Kong no you'd you'd ha- you'd hand it over to the generals who presumably are paying the bills but is that what you want your company or your organization right you tied found the to? thing and then Myanmar is a closed country nobody could go see it and they would drape it in the flag and use it as an excuse to to murder uh, innocence. It would a- absolutely be a, a a propaganda symbol for whatever bad government is currently in charge and right now there have been two that have not been great. Wow. Um, so that's kind of, so what they're left with is kind of these homegrown efforts. Um, in 2014, a former uh, Burmese naval officer named San Lin um, said that with, um, you know, $250,000, he could uh, mount an effort to get the bell back because he had a secret weapon. Hmm? And I, I, I think you know what I'm going to say. Huh? A clairvoyant monk. <laughs> a lot oh, of these that's what we i mean need. when james cameron found the titanic he didn't have a single clairvoyant monk but in this that case you know of. in this case there's a lot of local lore around the fact that the reason why the you know there was this original sin this original curse in the founding of the bell and one of the reasons why it's never come up from the bottom of the of the uh bago river is because of all the local knot the dragon-like river spirits that are that are swirling beneath the waters and preventing the discovery of the bell. And how do you pacify slash mollify the dragon spirits in the river 
the, to get them to release the bell. You, you know, you've got Buddhist cleansing rituals and you have holy man and you've got a clairvoyant monk. Okay. Who has a good sense of where the uh, bell is because he's prayed on it. Sure. And he knows how to get around the, these Naga-like uh, river dragons and demons. He, can, he, he also can sense the oxidated copper. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't need copper sulfate. Oh, all right. He has uh, the the pure mind of the of the bodhisattva. I see. So well, that'll take him by the hand. So they exactly. So they mount this domestic operation, and it, it's a quite a bit of local coverage because um, you know this is <laughs> because otherwise they have to talk about the genocide. <laughs> well, well, I mean, there's a giant bell in a river for 400 okay. years, and now good point. And now we've got a, a, a clairvoyant monk looking for it. So you know the BBC is covering this. Well, and, and I think it's just as big a story that there are uh, that there are angry dragons in the river as the as that there's a bell at the bottom. I feel like if you accept one thing, you got to accept the other. I don't know if the BBC reporter grants the existence of the. I mean, he's not like a local. If it was like a local traffic reporter in Yangon, he'd be like, "And the river spirits are angry again. We got we got a big backup around the curves coming into the Irrawaddy today." Right. Um, but the BBC guys mostly interested in the phenomenon of just how interested the locals are because hundreds of people are coming down to the riverbank every day to watch this operation. They've all got you know literature about the legend of the bell. Local boatmen and ferrymen are making a quick buck by you know, hauling people out on the river to see the, the, the operation. Well, look, point of, uh, point of order here. Don't pay the ferryman (laughs) until he gets you to the other side. The ferry person. Sorry. The ferry person. We don't even know. Don't. We don't know the pronouns. You got to, you got to know in advance. Do not pay them in advance. Uh, the, um, and at some point the government actually creates an exclusion zone out where the operation is taking place because all the boats are angering up the demons. Whoa. The government gets involved. Yeah. The government says you can't go here because the demons are getting, uh, the river demons are getting angry. So the, that lot, that, you know, the, the Indian government says, on the local says, uh, no, no Western Christians can go out to the Sintanalese and, uh, and and bother them there, but the Myanmar government says don't bother the river dragons. And they're not, uh, you know, afraid of the river demons. They're not surrendering to the river demons. They just they're just a fact of life, and they think they'll be more likely to find the bell if the uh, demons are not getting annoyed by by pesky uh, boats. Sure. So, but you know, you got hundreds of people lining the riverbank, you know, in uh, umbrellas for shade in the burning sun, and still there in the rain from the monsoons. And the operation apparently is pretty underwhelming. They've got like a single dredger out there and like one houseboat for the workers. And occasionally you'll see like a, a, a teenager, like a, a young guy in a t-shirt, like jump into the fast moving water with literally like a scuba mask, like just a, uh-huh. you know, just some, I'll find s- it. Some dollar store diving mask and a hose pipe. And, you know, because of the current's so fast, you know, they got to come back up in a minute. Um, but despite these long odds and the, and the surprisingly rudimentary technology, on August 26th of 2014, Sondland announces that he has found the bell. There's now a buoy floating that he says has a rope attached to it. and Down into 25 feet of mud. Yeah, and on the other end, they have found the bell, and they've got it all ready to Pro- go. Prove Prove that it doesn't. <laughs> People are excited. This is a this is headline news in uh, in Myanmar, and you know the Western news covering this is able to find local historians and engineers, civil engineers who are like, 
No, he hasn't found it. There's so much. There's World War II debris down there. There, um, the legend is that there's like two Dutch ships that are wrecked near where um, Debrito's galleon went down. And Seems like the river dragons are getting theirs. Yeah, I mean, maybe the river dragons uh, do exist. Um, so there's tons of debris down there. So you know, people, you know, people in the know are like, he doesn't have it. <laughs> But the popul the populace in general is like that's our that's our national bell yay you know big news, and after a few weeks go by with no update, um, public opinion turns against Sondland, and in fact some politicians try to have him charged with fraud. Oh, he's he's he was unable to find the bell. He was lying to everybody about the bell to get funding. He tied the the rope to a rock. Yeah, who knows what the the maybe the boy was never tied to anything. He was just desperate to keep his boondoggle going and uh and the a local legislator um blames him for causing what, what the bbc calls quote a national shenanigan a shenanigan which maybe is uh one of the worst crimes in myanmar to do it because not just a shenanigan but a national one i mean uh, a boondoggle that'll be bad enough it's already pretty bad well western democracies are full of boondoggles and yeah. most most of them condoned by law, but in this case, a shenanigan would uh, would presumably go against the you know the ethos of of honesty and transparency at the heart of a Buddhist culture. The BBC uh, the, the, the Buddha is against shenanigans. Sure, like he wouldn't even play Jenga. He's not going right. He's not going to countenance any kind yeah. of shenanigan. Okay, much Good. less a national one. The BBC interviewed a historian named, uh, in 2014, at kind of the height of this um, big bell mania, they interviewed a uh, Burmese historian named Chitson Nguyen um, about what he thought about this, um, not just this attempt to find the bell, but the whole endeavor of trying to recover this national symbol. And he, I mean, evidently not too worried about the military dictatorship, called it a national embarrassment. He said, first of all, they're almost certainly looking, I mean, even aside from the fact that this technology is not going to do it, the engineers are saying, you know, you can't do this. You think of the size of the crane you would need and, you know, you'd have to build like an oil platform or whatever. Um, but the historian says it's even worse. They're almost certainly, uh, to quote Raiders of the Lost Ark, digging in the wrong place. Oh, because uh, because the the head of the staff only burned the Nazi on one side. <laughs> in this case, the river has changed course so many times. And in fact, the city of Yangon, the city of, you know, the modern city of Rangoon or Yangon is probably, you know, in this guy's best opinion, not guaranteed to be where the capital of the Hantawadi kingdom was in the 15th century. So the bell might be under a road. Exactly. This 200 happened, feet uh, from the water. This happened where? Some case in the... Some boat that was some maybe like a 19th century riverboat that people were looking for in the Mississippi for decades, and it finally turned up in a cornfield. You know, like now just miles from the the current course of the river, because these things happen in these um, you know these turbulent river deltas. So, so what they really need is an army of uh, of UK uh, retirees with metal detectors. This is the, uh, what was that story? The plains of, was that also Burma or was that? Uh, uh, the lost plains of, uh, of Burma. It was, that, was, right? The lost pitfires of Burma. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So once again, and here's the thing, like the lost pitfires of Burma, Chitsongwen drops one final microphone here by saying, 
I'm not even sure the bell ever existed. Come on. Come on. This is a historically documented bell. What is he talking it about? It is a historically documented bell, including uh, from, from Western uh, visitors who noted um, the great size of the bell. I mean, maybe there's, some, bell. maybe there's some confusion and they saw a different bell or, or even whatever. so, that suggests the existence of a different bell. <laughs> But, uh, you know, in Chitsan Wynn's study of the period, he says, you know, there are three great histories of Myanmar written, you know, all of them written around 1800, but, you know, who, the doll documented this time period, and none of them mention the construction of a 300-ton bell or its loss to a to a, a Portuguese mercenary. Well, because they've been gone for 250 years at that point, or maybe, 150 years. Maybe, but these are, these are books that are covering that time period, the 15th oh, and 16th centuries. They're the oldest, you know, extant local domestic chronicles of the time and they don't mention the bell at all so what was the first mention of the bell uh i don't know how clear it is i mean it's now that it's become part of legend you know it, it you know the 15th century is not all that long ago it's not right you know it's not medieval what, the equivalent of medieval times in europe but in myanmar this is very much like the story of the holy grail you know this is a this is a mythical treasure, and everybody believes it's still there. It's a big part of the national identity, but the actual, you know, what's and wherefores and dates are lost to the mists of time now. A um, bell in a river, twenty-five feet of mud, the beating heart of your of your nation, and maybe that's what's uh, maybe that's what's caused all the all the bad scene in. Burma or Myanmar for the last few decades. Restore the bell to its rightful place. If this was a Disney movie, this is exactly what it would be. There's yeah. there's evil spirits swirling around the sunken bronze bell, and if you can, if somebody pure in heart can, a strong female lead. Yeah, exactly. Needs with, to with the power of of, uh, of friendship and confidence and Grayskull, and will they don't defeat the the dragons? They're able to talk them down or yeah, make peace in some them. way. The dragons are 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 flummoxed by the shenanigans. Yeah. And uh take, they, they're like us, they hate a national shenanigan. Yeah, and they can feel it. They can they well, you know, they're tasting the copper in the water. They're like, ah, come on. This is awful. We need a Burmese Disney princess to figure this out once and for all. Representation matters, Ken. And that concludes the Great Bell of Damazetti. Entry 548.ex3925. Certificate number 50855 in the Omnibus. Futurelings in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, undoubtedly you, as the dragons of this story, are deeply bothered by the shenanigans of the subtext of the internet. Are you still guarding I, your bell? I or? have no idea what I'm, I'm just <laughs> rambling. I'm so... I need sleep. Here's I a, shouldn't have this fourth cup of coffee. Here's the fun part. You're doing another show right after this. <laughs> they won't hear it till Thursday at the earliest. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find Ken at Ken Jennings on social media. You can find me in my ghostly um, after effect. I am the buried bell of this story. Uh, maybe I never was on social media. But I think you can find now documentation. You're in, now you're in 25 feet of mud. That's right. At John Roderick. Uh, you can email us, the two of us, and um, and actually Ken's wife Mindy also reads the email. So if you have something to say to Mindy, say something nice. 
Otherwise, she will cancel the show. She won't let Ken come out and play. Uh, email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Uh, please support the show at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. We depend on your contributions to make the show happen. At the, uh, It's the one reason Mindy lets Ken come out and play. At the more extravagant level of donation, uh, supporters get cool perks like being able to get a signed copy of uh, our show notes sent to them in the mail or uh, actually hang out with us on Zoom or, fun. Uh, as in the case of this episode, getting to suggest a title. Uh, our listener, Scotty, sent us a bunch of ideas for shows, and I had never heard of this giant Burmese bell. And I hadn't either. We hadn't done a lot of South Asian stuff lately, and I thought, this is a great idea. Thank you, yeah. Scotty. Yeah, it's nice, and... Um... At the other levels, you know, I, I was thinking after that, that last aborted show about, um, it was not about hands across America, about hands across America. Some, some say it was that I did have a bunch of notes. I had a whole set of show notes about hands across America, uh, Redia, And I feel like that should be a separate tier. The tier of donation where you get signed show notes is one thing, but the tier of donation where you get... You get notes to a show that never happened. Yeah, or notorious signed show notes, right? There have to be some show notes that are more notorious. Somebody, for for just the same regular contribution, got the show notes to mail trucks or whatever, a uh, you know, what became a signature show, whereas your, your con- you know, next person's contribution just got them... The original Hands Across America. Well, a show that used to just be a boring old show, but now is going to enter the canon. It's got a little more cachet now that it caused a national shenanigan. If you want to know more about mail trucks, you can go find Futurelings wherever Omnibus fans congregate on social media and throughout the internet. And you can supply us with physical media and other things, unsharpened pencils... Anthrax spores at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Please do not send us any anthrax spores. No. Uh, any other kind of spore we would love. Yeah. Mushrooms. Uh, Ken, Ken's got a whole mushroom farm growing in his grandfather clock. Fern spores. We actually do have a mushroom farm. In your backyard? No. my In the kitchen? In the basement. My, my kid got one at... Uh, I think it like the old, uh, what's it called? The old ferry terminal in San Francisco. One of those, oh, yeah. one of those food, food booths was selling, uh, Ghirardelli chocolates. Yeah. They were selling, um, a little mushroom log. So we got one of those now. And do mushrooms grow from it? Yes. And I, uh, ate one and it was delicious. Oh, I thought you were going to say no, I ate one and I not, came over here and woo. It wasn't, wasn't hard. No, it, they're, uh, they're just boring salad bar mushrooms. I don't believe in actually learning anything about the universe from a mushroom. Like if any, if any vegetable is going to teach me something about the universe, it is not going to be a pizza topping. <laughs> Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, however, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.